I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? I'm ready. Let's go! Alright, let's give it a whirl! Let's give it a whirl! Hello, everyone! Thank you so much for being here. Tonight, if you live in Texas, it's cold. And you know what? If you live pretty much anywhere else, it's cold. (laughs) So you're going to be hearing this about a week later, but I'm just saying right this very minute, it's cold. Yes, once again, let it be known that at one time it was cold (laughs) in Texas. Uh, and according to some people, hell has frozen over. <laughs> so, uh, yes. Um, but uh, wherever you are, hopefully, uh, if you're looking for a little bit of warmth, uh, this uh, podcast will bring uh, some uh, warmth to you. We're certainly sending it out to you wherever you are in this great country of ours and this wonderful world. Uh, for those of you, if this is your first episode of History in Retrograde, we'd like to welcome you. Uh, the way that we do things uh, here is that in a moment I will give the astrological birth data of a random historical figure to my mother. She will then input that data into the back computer, and out will come the astrological birth chart, where all the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment that that person was born. She will then give her best attempt at a blind reading of this chart, telling us what she can of the person's uh, personality traits, characteristics, motivations uh, of uh, this uh, mystery history guest. I will then reveal to her who our historical figure is, give a little background about the person, then we'll come together at the end and figure out how accurate the chart was at predicting what that person would do. Without any further ado, let us begin. Okay. This is a male... All right. Uh, born on the 2nd mm-hmm. of May. Okay. 1469 JUL. All right. Do you want to guess a time? 11.07 p.m. All right. 
Cool. That's pretty specific. And where in the world? Italy. Italy. I do like Italy. Hello, if you're in Italy. I want to come and visit you. All right. In what town? Florence. All right. Let's see if this came out the way we wanted it to. So this is the 2nd of May, 1469. J.U.L. refers to the Julian calendar. The uh, Gregorian calendar that we use today was not adopted yet. Okay. All right. Let's see if this looks right to you. Because for whatever reason, whenever we do J.U.L., odd things happen. So, do you think this looks right? I think so. Okay, wow. <laughs> this is a lot. Okay. Um, well, you think this person has Capricorn Rising? I think that makes sense. Okay, so we, I will go through the planets because we have an interception. See? Mm-hmm. All right, and uh, let me go through. So we have um, Capricorn rising, 11 degrees Capricorn rising, and then we have sun at 20 degrees Taurus, moon at 2 degrees Aquarius, Mercury at 10 degrees Gemini, Venus at 22 degrees Aries, Mars at 11 degrees Pisces, Jupiter at 27 degrees Cancer, Saturn at 4 degrees Taurus, Uranus at 12 degrees Libra, Neptune at 7 degrees Scorpio, Pluto at 6 degrees Virgo, North Node at 7 degrees Aquarius, and Chiron at 27 degrees Capricorn. Very interesting. So, mostly... Fixed signs. See, this is fixed. And they have six fixed signs. This was, this would have been a very, very stubborn person. Um, okay. So let's start with the first house. First house, we have Chiron at 27 degrees Capricorn. And then we have Moon at two degrees Aquarius conjunct North Node at seven degrees Aquarius in the first house. Very interesting. So, usually, if this is the correct birth time, a person who has moon in their first house would have been very connected to their mother. All right? And somehow, their mother and women have to do with their direction, and their direction being, hopefully, humanitarianism, unless they are a dictator. But um, then we have in the second house, um, the second house cusp is Aquarius. And within the second house, because I'm doing Placidus house system, we have Mars in Pisces, but it is intercepted because we do not have a Pisces house cusp. We have an Aquarius house cusp, and we have an Aries house cusp, but we do not have a Pisces house cusp. 
and their Mars is there. So this Mars in Pisces in the second house could have been difficult for this person to access, but having Mars in Pisces would be very creative and also, um, I mean, having Mars in Pisces, this, this person could have a bad temper. I mean, Pisces people can be known for having a bad temper. They are more creative and um, imaginative. I don't know that they go straight there, but they can be very defensive. And um, Pisces used to be ruled by Jupiter before they discovered Neptune. So big, a lot, expansive also. Uh, then we have third house cusp is Aries. And in that third house, we have Venus at 22 degrees Aries in the third house. Wow. Okay. So this person should have been really passionate and, uh, passionate about, um, well, it's in the third house, so it's communication. And this person has Venus and also Saturn, but their Saturn is in Taurus because it changes right here to Taurus. So they have Venus and Taurus in the third house. So there's something about communication and hmm, Taurus things are lessons. Venus things are things you love, how you love, what you love. Um, also, um, you know, values and valuables, but Venus is more about actual love and how you love. But Saturn puts some restriction on that. So there's some lessons or restrictions having to do with love and communication because it's third house. Then we have sun at 20 degrees Taurus in the fourth house, if this birth time is correct. And we have fourth house cusp is Taurus. Sun in the fourth house in Taurus. Um, fourth house is home, uh, and also community and country. I mean, it could be country, but um, it also has to do with shining light because it's sun, right? Sun in Taurus. Taurus having to do with... Um, Taurus is very uh, sensual. And this is somehow... Um, in the fourth house. So their house should be very cozy. There should be a lot of cozy going on here, but also stubborn. This is stubborn because we have Saturn and Sun in Taurus. Uh, so there is some level of um, stubborn and it can be um, determination, be really determined. Uh We'll come back to that. So we have fifth house is in Gemini. 
And for as much as this person is stubborn and determined, they can talk a blue streak because they've got Mercury and Gemini in the fifth house. So there's something about entertainment, entertaining, communication, because we have Venus and Saturn in the house, in the third house of communication. Now we have Gemini, you know, Mercury, such a fast mind in the fifth house of everything that you could enjoy. Romance, children, hobbies, entertainment, entertaining, all of these things. So this person should have been kind of fun. Then we have six houses, Gemini also. We have two Gemini houses and we have two Sagittarius house cusps because we have an interception. So uh, there isn't anything in this person's sixth house, but midway through it turns to cancer. So there could be something nurturing about how they work um, or some way nurturing in some way that they, in the way that they work. And then their seventh house cusp is cancer and they have Jupiter at 27 degrees in the seventh house. That is, um, Jupiter in cancer at 27 degrees in the seventh house. So this person should have been really benevolent with their partners. Very spoily, very romantic. Um, I would think. And then um, we do not have any planets in Leo, but the eighth house cusp is Leo. And there is no Virgo house cusp, but this person has Pluto at six degrees Virgo in the eighth house. So that's very powerful for the eighth house, Virgo, Pluto and Virgo, Pluto and Virgo wants to be very detailed. It wants everything to be correct and good and right and the best it can be and very good work and very good detailed research and also healing. It could be healing, but more like medical clinical healing as opposed to Pisces, which is more like spiritual healing. And maybe they're known for this because it's in their eighth house. Um, then their ninth house cusp is Libra and they have Uranus in Libra and their ninth house. And they also have Neptune and Scorpio in their ninth house. So, there's something here about innovative ways of maybe um, balancing issues or ideas or concepts because it's Uranus and Uranus is futuristic and Libra is balance and beauty. So there could be something unusual about this person's dogma, spirituality, religion, or they could travel um, to unusual places because ninth house is also travel. 
but they having that Neptune there at seven degrees Scorpio is also going to lend some creativity to this. See, this Uranus is going to be the new way of thinking, right? And then the Neptune is going to be the imaginative way, like taking dreams and manifesting them into this reality. You know what I mean? Or having both of these things be part of their dogma and their religion. Any of these things are possible. Tenth house cusp is Scorpio. They do not have any planets there. But 10th house cusp in, in Scorpio could give you a career that has to do with Scorpio type things. So it could be, uh, any of the, you know, like taboo things or subconscious things or, um, um, transitional things. Um, I'm thinking like psychic ability, um, going deeper within like darkness, like fun, like, like, like shadow work kind of things, if that makes any sense. And then the 11th house cusp is Sagittarius. There are no planets in there, but 11th house is ruled by Uranus and Aquarius. And that is groups of people. And I would think that somehow this person is kind of known to groups of people as kind of cavalier because it's Sagittarius. And then 12th house cusp is also Sagittarius. So now we have no, when we have no planets in that house, but with it being Sagittarius as well, we have some sort of karma with this more cavalier way of doing things, whatever kind of cavalier way of doing things is. And do you see all of these red lines, Chandler? Yes. These are all squares or oppositions. So these all indicate energy. So this is like zooming, okay, with energy and it's fixed. It's mostly fixed. All right. Um, they have one, two, they have four aspects in cardinal. They have six aspects in fixed. And they have three aspects in mutable. So they're kind of balanced, but they're super fixed. So whatever they're doing, it's very, see, because what we're dealing with here is we have this Venus, all right? And the Venus is opposed to the Uranus. And the Venus is at 22 and the Uranus is at 12. So it's not exactly by degree, but it's pretty close because a 10 degree orb, this is 22 and this is 12. So it's right at opposition. You know what I mean? And that's where this red line is coming in. And then we have this Neptune at seven degrees and it is opposing their Saturn. Okay. Neptune in Scorpio opposes Saturn in, um, Taurus. All right. So then we have this Jupiter in Cancer at, um, 27 degrees opposing this Chiron in Capricorn at 27 degrees by degree. Okay. So there's a lot of dynamic happening here, which could have also, 
caused this person to have some difficulty because I feel like they're trying to stretch so far that it could have given them some difficulty in as they tried to get to where they were going. You know what I mean? There's just a lot of lessons. It's like when you have this much activity in your chart, it can be that, um, you know, you take three steps forward, you have to jump to the right, you take one step back, you turn a circle, then you go forward again, if that makes any sense. I don't know if that makes any, any of it makes any sense, but I'm just saying that's the feeling I'm getting from all this, you know? Mm -hmm. Is any of that making sense at all? Yes. Oh, really? Okay. Well, do you have any questions? Yes. Um, what would he do for a living? Well, I feel like it has, I mean, he has Chiron in the first house. So, uh, but it's in Capricorn. So there's something fatherly about his healing. If he, if he's doing it right, you know, if he is moving through Chiron the way he should be doing it, something fatherly, something nurturing, something new something that is um, in, in innovative and somehow imaginative, all right, dealing with subconscious possibly, um, and communication. What do you think he'd like to study in school? Mm, well, his ninth house is he has Uranus and Libra, and he has Neptune and Scorpio. So possibly <laughs> the future of I mean, you could be very, very linear and just say law because it's Uranus and so it would be like futuristic law or futuristic laws of blank, you know, but somehow with this Neptune and this Uranus there, it's different and unique and unusual and has to do with Scorpio things. So, <laughs> um, imaginative dark things, maybe, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's kind of hippie-ish, but scientific, hippie jargon, maybe. What is his relationship to power? Well, he has Pluto in the eighth house in Virgo. So that's very powerful. I mean, Pluto rules the eighth house and now he's got Pluto in the eighth house. It is in Virgo. So it's more in service of, or more, it could be literary. It could be a writer. It could be an author. It could be medical, clinical. Um, but I mean, his Mars is in Pisces. His moon and his North node are in Aquarius. So it seems to me he would be more about the people you know, um, 
He's got this sun and Taurus in the fourth house. I mean, he he could have power, but it just seems he has too many like nurturing things, you know? So I don't know that he would be super into being powerful as opposed to being more nurturing and healing. But I don't know. I mean, he's got Pluto in the eighth house in Virgo. It's possible. If these houses are even right. If these are even, you know, if this is the time he was born. Is he a good communicator? I would think he would be a very good communicator. He has Mercury in Gemini in the fifth house. He has Venus in Aries and um, Saturn in Taurus in the third house. I would think he would be a really good communicator. How would he do in a negotiation? Honestly, I think he'd do pretty good. Um, he has a lot of aspects that help him maneuver in things like that. You know, having Neptune in Scorpio can make you. Um, anytime you have anything in Scorpio and, and Capricorn, it gives you maneuverability. You know, and then with Pluto in Virgo, it's going to make him want to make sure his facts are right. And then Mercury in Gemini and then Venus in the third house. And he's got Mars in Pisces. He's got he's got a lot of creative maneuverability, I would think. How does he feel about humanity? I would think he cares about humanity. He has moon conjunct north node in Aquarius in the first house. If this is his correct time of birth he has jupiter in cancer um he has uh yeah i think those things are the main things that tell me that he would really kind of care about humanity and somehow nurturing it in a new imaginative way i mean unless he's the dark side of all of these which would be Pretty much the opposite of everything I'm saying. But very specifically opposite. <laughs> he'd be very lazy. You know, he'd, he'd be, uh, uh, you know, uh, just really, you know, two-faced and talking bad about people. There's a lot, but I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that's how this played out. Would he rather be feared or loved? Honestly, I think he'd rather be loved. He's got Jupiter in Cancer. He has Sun in Taurus. I mean, maybe that's Sun in Taurus, but I don't think so. I don't think he would want to be feared more than he would want to be loved. Unless something bad happened when he was, you know, young. But um, no, I mean, I mean, he does have Venus in Aries. That could make him very... No, I just, I don't think that. What is his legacy? Something new and different. He has moon conjunct north node in Aquarius. He's very smart. Um, he has Chiron in the first house in Capricorn, which is kind of healing, but in a fatherly way. He has Mars in Pisces in the second house, which even though it's intercepted, it's in Pisces. And that makes him very creative. Uh, he's very passionate. He has Venus in, in Aries. His Taurus 
is, I mean, his um, Saturn is conjunct his sun in Taurus, which can be very, very um, sensually nurturing, like feeding you and propping up your pillows and things like that. And then he has Mercury and Gemini, which is brilliant communication. Jupiter in uh, Cancer, which is very nurturing. Pluto in Virgo, which is very um, detail-oriented. And then this Neptune and Uranus in the ninth house of philosophy and, 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 and you know, um, dogma and well, it's also travel. So he could be traveling, but maybe he could travel to learn new things, innovative things. It's something innovative. I think it's something innovative and nurturing. Do you have any other final first impressions? I think I would find this person very interesting. All right. Well, I think we are ready for a summary of our findings. Okay. First thing you said is that he'd be very stubborn. Uh, he is connected to his mother. Mother and women are important to the direction of his life. Uh, he is very creative. Uh, he could have a bad temper. He is really passionate and passionate about communication. Um, his house would be cozy. He uh, could be stubborn about home and community. He is determined. Uh, he could talk a blue streak. Uh, he uh, could talk and uh, uh, be active in entertainment and communication. He could be a very fun person. Uh, he is nurturing in his work, really benevolent with partners. Uh, he could be very romantic. He is detailed. Uh, he could be involved in something healing and medical. Uh, he uh, is innovative in ways of balancing issues and ideas. Uh, he could have an unusual dogma and philosophy. Uh, his career could deal in secrets, taboo things, transitional things, uh, psychic, maybe even shadow work. Uh, he could be known to groups of people as being cavalier. He has karma with this cavalier attitude. Uh, he is dynamic. There is a difficulty in that he is stretching so far it's hard to achieve his goals. There are so many lessons. It seems like he is taking three steps forward and two steps back. Uh, he is involved in fatherly healing, nurturing. Uh, his career is new, innovative. Uh, something to do with the subconscious and communication. Uh, he uh, might study the future of law or of uh, specific laws. Uh, he is a unique, innovative, uh, uh, but something about dark things. There's a hippie aspect with a darkness tied to it. Uh, he could be in the service of power, using literary skills or possibly uh, medicinal or clinical skills. Uh, he is about the people. Uh, he is not so much about being powerful as much as healing people. He is a good communicator, a good negotiator. He can maneuver through situations. He cares about humanity, uh, nurturing in a new and imaginative way. Uh, he, if given the choice between uh, 
having to choose between being feared or loved, he would choose being loved. Uh, he is a legacy in something new, uh, healing in a fatherly way. Very smart, creative, passionate, sensually nourishing. He is brilliant. Uh, he travels to learn, and mom would find him interesting. <laughs> yeah, I want to say when I'm talking about laws like Libra, I mean like the the laws of the universe. You know what I mean? Like it's you, it's it's Uranus. So yeah, that's what I mean. Like not just necessarily legal law, but also the laws of whatever. Well, I think we are ready for. Um the uh the reveal mm -hmm. do you have any idea who this person i don't might be? have a clue i don't have any idea who this is uh would you like to know whose chart you're looking at <laughs> i would you are looking at the chart of niccolo machiavelli <gasps> what well okay so this is the dark side of everything <laughs> I completely read this all light side, and I should have been reading all the dark side. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Very creatively dark. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Or maybe he's a person who's misunderstood. I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> so, uh... For those who are unaware, Machiavelli um, is uh, one of the great political thinkers of the Renaissance. <laughs> uh, he wrote a book called The Prince, uh, which uh, has been on the bedside table of your greatest tyrants and uh, your, your, your great leaders. Um, it is a unique look into uh, humanity and uh, the best way of uh, working through uh, humanity and leading um, people. So, um, but in a lot of ways, he didn't necessarily live his life in the way that he describes that people should in The Prince. Um, maybe he could have gotten a little farther ahead if he had. Um, also, The Prince sort of seems like... Um, well, well, we'll get into it as we talk about his life. So, uh, Niccolo Machiavelli, he was born in uh, May of uh, 1469 to Bernardo and Bartolomeo uh, Machiavelli. Bernardo uh, was a, a lawyer in Florence. Uh, he was one of the great legal minds of his time. Uh, but this is Renaissance uh, Italy. And I say that Italy is not a concept. There's not one unified Italy. Uh, during the Renaissance, we are dealing with all these different city-states. Florence is one of these city-states. And uh, the ruling family of Florence is the Medici family. And... Uh, uh, Bernardo uh, finds himself on the outs uh, with the Medici family. Uh -oh. He is uh, not a, a supporter of them, <laughs> uh, uh, or at least not uh, uh, efficiently so. Uh, he is not uh, an enemy because the Medicis took care of their enemies, <laughs> um, but uh, he is not uh, courting favor with them. So he doesn't get to... He, he, but the Medicis aren't always on top. Uh, there is a, a constant struggle, uh, there's constant political instability, as we'll get into the life of Machiavelli, and 
all this instability leads into why he would write a book like The Prince. Um, so for the most part, though, the Medicis are on top, meaning that uh, Bernardo doesn't get to have all the greatest uh, cases. He's not even allowed to practice at certain times. Um, uh, uh, Nicolo's mother, though, uh, Bartolomeo, uh, is a really interesting woman in her own right. Uh, she grew up in a wealthy family and uh, was given a classical education at a time when that was um, not expected and highly discouraged for women to have at that time. Uh, she uh, married an apothecary, uh, and then uh, he passes away, and she kind of takes over some of the business things uh, for her own right. Uh, and then uh, she marries Bernardo, and they have several children. I believe it's seven. And uh, Nicolo is the first son uh, born to the family. There are two elder daughters. Uh, they live in the Palazzo Machiavelli, which is uh, on the Arno River in Florence. And this is a palazzo, but it has the entire Machiavelli uh, clan in it. So there are 30 people living mm. in this house. Um. When there are all these changing tides in Florentine uh, politics, uh, and uh, whenever uh, the uh, tide uh, seems to be going up, uh, Bernardo uh, takes care of the children. He wants to make sure that they have a classical education. We are now in, uh, we're in the Renaissance. So there are all these texts that were held back or some not even known to exist um, from the classical period, from the pre-Christian era, um, and uh, they are now being rediscovered in the Renaissance. And uh, it is very important for Niccolo and the other Machiavelli children uh, to uh, learn from these texts. Uh, that is uh, the priority uh, that Bernardo and uh, Bartolomeo uh, place uh, in their education. So uh, Niccolo is taught to read by the time he's four or five years old, and he is uh, translating Latin by the time he's seven years old. Wow. And uh, he's translating from Latin into Italian, from Italian into Latin, um, which, uh, you know, isn't necessarily as difficult as translating from Latin into Chinese or German. <laughs> but still, it's a valuable skill that will serve him um, in uh, later in his life. Um, at nine years old, uh, Florence, in the, the first time in his life, though this happens all the time in uh, uh, Renaissance uh, Italy, um, uh, Florence, the city-state, is at war with the Pope. Uh, the papal states have their own army, and uh, they're at war with each other. There's political instability. Uh, so uh, his education kind of uh, takes a step onto the back burner. Then the next year, he's 10 years old, the bubonic plague hits uh, Florence. Mm. Uh, so uh, Niccolo uh, is evacuated to uh, live uh, with the relatives in the country in Tuscany. Um, but after the plague uh, subsides and uh, from 1480 to 1482, Bernardo has enough money to pay for the children to have the absolute best tutors available. And uh, so he's learning uh, math and he's learning uh, the classics. And uh, as uh, I said before, 
these things from the pre-Christian era are now starting to be rediscovered. Uh, so he's learning about Cicero and Livy and how a republic is supposed to be run, how the Roman Republic was run. Florence is supposed to be a republic, um, though really it's more of an oligarchy that's run by the Signori. Um, the uh, de' Medici's are, um, they're not necessarily in charge of anything. They're just the money behind everything. And uh, they're paying for uh, Michelangelo to make uh, great works of art, but they're also paying to make sure that their banking interests are on the uh, thoughts and minds of all of the politicians in uh, the Republic of Florence. And not that we would have any sort of correlation to how that would be here in the 21st century. <laughs> Um, but, uh, that's sort of, uh, how, uh, things are being run in Florence. And so, uh, he is learning at a young age that that's not, that's not how it's supposed to be, that the Republic is supposed to be representing these different classes and they're supposed to have a voice in their government. And, uh, he's learning that by studying, uh, these classic works by, uh, Livy and Cicero. Uh, he goes to university at age 16. Uh, at age 18, he's starting to make some inroads with the Medici family, which is uh, going to serve him uh, uh, later on in his career. It's also interesting because his father is on the outs with the Medicis, but uh, he's starting to become friends with some of uh, the younger members of the family. Uh, this is during the reign of uh, Lorenzo uh, Medici, uh, who is known as Lorenzo the Magnificent, uh, which I think means he should be a magician somewhere. Um, I'm pretty sure uh, <laughs> off the strip in Vegas you can find Lorenzo the Magnificent. Um, uh, uh, but he, uh, uh, by the time he's around 18, 19, um, uh, Lorenzo passes away. Uh, he leaves uh, everything to uh, one of the younger sons, and he proves to be an ineffectual leader. The political instability means that France decides it's a good time to invade. <laughs> uh, so there's a war between France uh, and uh, Florence, and uh, the Medici's are kind of the, the, are, are kind of on the outs with the people in Florence, and there's this priest uh, named uh, Savernola, and he sort of uh, makes uh, an allegiance with the French, and he talks to everybody uh, during uh, his sermons, and he says that uh, uh, this is punishment that the French coming in they are punishing uh, the Medici's uh, for all of their um, uh, affinity for pagan works for for um, all of this art and all the poetry that is blasphemous um, because they have funded this and because of their political actions, uh, now God is punishing all of us, so we need to burn all, all of this art oh, and poetry. No. Um, and uh, we need to get rid of any thought that came from a pre-Christian era. Oh, you should not my. be studying Cicero or Livy. Uh, and so there is a literal bonfire of the vanities, and he burns oh, a lot of the art and... Uh, um, Savernola is sort of the uh, head of Florence, uh, while um, uh, 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 Niccolo is uh, in his early 20s. Uh, 
and he is uh, Nicolo kind of is against everything that uh, Savernola. He doesn't like the Medici's, but he doesn't like Savernola either because uh, of his stance against uh, pre-Christian texts. Um, in 1496, um, Niccolo's uh, mother passes away. Uh, 1497, uh, France uh, comes to a treaty, and then they start demobilizing and moving back uh, to France to have their nice wines and cheeses. And um, this leaves Savernola without his goons. He doesn't have the um, allies. The French army isn't around anymore. Um, so the major power near Florence is now going back to the Pope. Uh, the Pope issues uh, an interdict uh, against Savernola. And uh, so the people of Florence find Savernola and they hang him. Uh, and they find whoever's been an ally to Savernola and they hang them too. Uh, and so now uh, the uh, people of Florence are looking for new people to fill in the offices. And they're looking for moderates. They're looking for people who don't have ties to the Medici's, don't have ties to Savernola. Well, that's Niccolo Machiavelli. He uh, is not in with the Medici's. He certainly wasn't in with Savernola. So they make him uh, the a second chancellor. Uh, so as a city-state, a uh, they have officials that a, a nation-state would have, uh, such as ambassadors and diplomats, to talk to the other cities. That's part of this job. But he also has a job inside the city working with domestic affairs and uh, trying to figure out military things and protection for the city itself. So he's serving sort of this dual role. Uh, and uh, so he starts that in June of 1498. And there's there's so much. Uh, these people, they really like going to war with each other. So <laughs> the, there are wars where, and it involves all these players. So uh, Louis Twelfth he comes to power in France, and he starts uh, back invading into Pisa. You have the Papal States with the Pope. You have the Venetians. You have Milan, Florence, Pisa, Spain, the Holy Roman Empire. They're all finding allegiances with each other, backstabbing each other, um, and uh, uh, all the new alliances, alliances falling apart. What's important, you know, I'm not going to get into all the details of how all these things change from moment to moment. What's important to note in this story is that Niccolo Machiavelli is the one representing Florence, negotiating all these things and how Florence is going to uh, act during all these conflicts. So he is uh, uh, negotiating with the King of France. He is negotiating with the Pope. He has an eyewitness seat to power mm -hmm. and how one uh, executes power effectively or ineffectively. And um, he is watching all of it, and it is all being recorded. Uh, and so later on in his life, he is going to have many uh, eyewitness uh, uh, accounts to how one wields power effectively. Um, the other major player in Florence is a man named uh, Soderini, and Soderini and Machiavelli are allied uh, to each other. Soderini is more of the executive in Florence, and Machiavelli is sort of the person uh, who is his ally, who is his diplomat, who is negotiating all the things that he needs done. Machiavelli is also the person who uh, convinces Soderini not to have a mercenary army, not to have these goons that you pay, because once you run out of money, they go away. 
you should have a uh, a militia made up of your own citizens. You should conscript citizens from the countryside around uh, Florence to serve in your army. So he puts this whole militia together. He uh, funds it. He finds the funding for it. He finds the munitions for it. Uh, this is happening from 1505 to 1506. He is also working and uh, Niccolo Machiavelli is with the Florentine army as they lay siege to Pisa. Uh, he is going from camp to camp, making sure that everyone has supplies. And in the summer of 1509, uh, he uh, marches at the head of the army going into Pisa uh, as they conclude this 15-year conflict. Wow. Um, 1511... Uh, we had this uh, agreement between the Pope and Aragon and France. 1511, uh, the French king decides he wants to invade again. Uh-oh. Uh, and not only that, uh, that he challenges uh, the Pope. He says that uh, we need a new Pope, even though the Pope hasn't died yet. Um, <laughs> that uh, we need to hold a conference to depose the Pope, uh, which, you know, is really interesting because the Pope, isn't supposed to be just any guy. He's supposed to be, you know, God's voice on the earth. But um, the king of France says that he knows better uh, and that we need to hold a conference uh, in Pisa. Uh, so now we have these, all the alliances get thrown out the window. Uh, Aragon and the Papal States come together and France and Florence come together. So now Florence is left vulnerable because if France doesn't come to them quickly enough, the Papal States are going to invade Florence and they don't have the army to protect themselves. And that's exactly what happens. The Papal army marches into Florence, they get rid of Soderini, and they put the Medicis back in power. And when they do that, Niccolo Machiavelli, he tries to, um, um, uh, you know, kind of sidle up and support the Medicis, but the Medicis are having none of it, and they fire him in 1512. The next year, in February 1513, Niccolo Machiavelli is arrested upon suspicion of a rebellion against the Medicis. Uh, at that same time, uh, the Pope... Uh, uh, he uh, passes away, and there's a Medici Pope. Well, the head of the Medici family becomes uh, the Pope. And uh, while that's happening, uh, Machiavelli is held in a cell, and he is being tortured. Uh, he is put on the rack, mm. uh, and he, uh, he is stretched on the rack, and then he is uh, mm. tortured with the rope. His uh, hands are uh, uh, suspended above his head, and his shoulders are dislocated. Ugh. Uh, but after uh, a few weeks, he is released, uh, and uh, they essentially put him on house arrest. They say, you can't live in uh, Florence, but you can't leave the countryside right around Florence. So uh, the Machiavelli estate, there's one outside of um uh, Florence, and that's where he goes. He has a vineyard there. Actually, is still running to this day. You can visit his home, and you can have uh, some of the wine that is grown from the same grapes that uh, he had 500 years ago. Um, it is at this time, in 1513, that he comes up with the prince. Uh, so now you get to see, like, 
how can someone have such a distorted view of humanity? <laughs> well, it's after just being tortured. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and now you start to think of, you know, uh, that the, the ills of humanity and, and, and that uh, you can be as virtuous as you want, but some uh, 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 evil person is just going to undo anything uh, uh, that you try and do. So it, why even try to be virtuous? Mm -hmm. um, uh, he writes this whole treatise still wanting to have some sort of political say, um, still trying to be uh, uh, some sort of advisor uh, to the Medicis now. Uh, he um, writes this whole book and he sends it out to some of his allies. He still has allies uh, in Rome uh, with the Pope. Uh, and uh, some of his allies really like it. Some of them are saying, this is really heavy stuff, man. Like, I don't know about the, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Like, maybe you need to have some more of that wine and like chill out for a little bit. But um, he continues writing. Um, and, and, the the prince is what one whether you agree with it or not it's one of the seminal works of uh, political philosophy. Um, the, there are so many quotes and so many ideas that he talks about it, and um, I think whenever anyone ha if they have any understanding of the prince, they'll they'll understand. The, there are two things that immediately come to mind. One is the ends justify the means. That uh, you can uh, uh, be awful and kill people and uh, completely uh, get rid of um, entire governments and people uh, as long as it is going in the end to uh, get you the peace and prosperity that you want for your state. Mm. Um, that is one of uh, the underlying precepts in the book. Uh, the other is... There is a very famous quote uh, where he says, Here a question arises, whether it is better to be loved than feared, or the reverse. The answer is, of course, that it would be best to be both, loved and feared. But, since the two rarely come together, mm. anyone compelled to choose will find greater security in being feared rather than being loved. Mm. Love endures by a bond which men, being scoundrels, may break whenever it serves their advantage to do so. But fear is supported <laughs> by the dread of pain, which is ever-present. So, uh, and, and, you know, the, you really get into... Um, it, there is this virtuous idea of what men should be, but there is reality. Uh, he's really sort of the founder of pragmatism in a way. Um, the, the, there, I'm just going to read some more of these quotes, um, that, that have lived on in, in political philosophy. Um, this is to be asserted in general of men that they are ungrateful, fickle, false, cowardly, and covetous. Uh, another quote, uh, the fact is that a man who wants to act virtuously in every way necessarily comes to grief among so many who are not virtuous. Therefore, if a prince wants to maintain his rule, he must be prepared not to be virtuous and to make use of this mm. or not according to need. So he's not necessarily saying that you shouldn't act virtuously. He's saying that you need to understand that others are not going to act virtuously. Mm -hmm. You need to understand that other people are evil mm -hmm. and you need to get inside that mindset in order to best protect what you want done. Mm -hmm. 
um, experience shows that those who do not keep their word get the better of those who do. Uh, the uh, liars uh, often uh, get away with things. They may not get away with it forever, but you need to understand that if you are trying to rule something. You mm. need to be suspicious. Whereas everything before Machiavelli um, it, it goes into this Christian morality that you need to be the lion. You need to be uh, this honest, brave, true, virtuous person. Um, in many ways, he broke the mold in saying, that's very good to aspire to, but you need to understand the other way of how this works. Otherwise, you're just going to fall flat. Um, that He talks about being the lion or being the fox, that you need to be both. That, um, But oftentimes the fox, who is cunning and wily mm -hmm. and uh, slippery, that you need to embrace that part. Otherwise, everything's going to fall apart. Um, but... These are all, you know, the things that he's very well known for. There are other quotes which I think bring more insight from the prince. Uh, so uh, uh, one of the quotes is, uh, One who becomes a prince through the favor of the people ought to keep them friendly. And this he can easily do, seeing that they only ask not to be oppressed by him. Uh, the best fortress is to be found in the love of the people, for although you have many fortresses, they will not save you if you are hated by the people. Uh, these are all the, he, he's writing this to advise the Medicis who have come to power through all sorts of horrible dealings and, and backstabbing and poison. And uh, <laughs> uh, so to, to go into this and say, um, he, you're scared. Because all these things that you do are going to come back to you. But here's another way of looking at it, that your best security is to be loved by the people. And the Medicis understood this to a certain extent with the amount that they gave to artists like Michelangelo and uh, uh, Leonardo da Vinci to uh, do their art and their science to better humanity. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't have to do that to maintain their power, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit for their status sake, but part of that was also for the people as well and to, and to bring beauty into the world. Um, one of uh, the things that I found was, uh, he says, uh, friendships that are obtained uh, by payments and not by greatness or nobility of mind may indeed be, be earned, but they are not secured. Uh, so uh, uh, if you have a friend who uh, is paying you, um, that just means, or you're paying someone to be your friend, someone else can just come along and offer a bigger price, mm -hmm. and now that person is their friend, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. which is something that, uh, uh, you know, deals with the, the ideas of celebrity today uh, and, and all sorts of influence. I mean, these are very valuable lessons um, that it's important to, to have. Uh, and then uh, what I'll leave off with in, in the quotes, I won't, I'm certainly not reading the whole book to you, but um, uh, it is the nature of men to be bound by the benefits they confer as much as by those that they receive, uh, which, you know, I read that and I think uh, the Beatles said that, you know, uh, that uh, uh, in the end, uh, the love you give is equal to the love you take. Uh, uh, they just said a little catch here, you know. Uh, I think that Machiavelli could have been the fifth Beatle. That's all I'm going to put out. Um, 
Now, he writes all this, but it doesn't get published. Instead, he sends a copy uh, to um, uh, one of uh, the younger Machiavellis. Uh, I think it's uh, uh, Giuliano uh, Machiavelli. But Giuliano has... um, He's received two gifts at the same time. He receives this excellent writing of political philosophy on how to maintain and secure an empire, and he receives two hunting dogs from another friend. (laughs) And he spends all of his time with his two puppy dogs and doesn't read the book at all. No. And uh, Niccolo Machiavelli is outraged (laughs) that uh, he never gets uh, uh, any uh, thoughts about his book uh, from Giuliano. Mm -hmm. And uh, he says, he vows, he is done with the Medici's Mm -hmm. forever Mm -hmm. uh, because of this insult. (laughs) Uh, And so uh, what he does is that he stays in his Tuscan villa Mm-hmm. He sips his wine. Mm-hmm. He writes plays. And all the plays that he writes are these very thinly veiled criticisms of the Medicis <laughs> and the ruling class. Um, and they all have, in this classic Renaissance way, they are all influenced by uh, the great plays of um, the classical Hellenistic era. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one called uh, The Ass, uh, <laughs> which has to deal with um, I uh, the part in the Odyssey where there's the witch who turns all these men to different animals. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's saying that he's been turned into an ass, mm-hmm. into a donkey, mm-hmm. and he is witnessing all of the Medici's and uh, the uh, Soderini's and all these Italian politicians of today who are being turned into pigs and uh, <laughs> I- into uh, all these other unflattering uh, farm animals mm-hmm. on this island. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, there's this one called uh, the Magdalena, uh, which is, uh, again, in a classic Renaissance uh, play style. Um, there is this man who wants to bed uh, the wife of a a wealthy nobleman, so he pretends to be a doctor and says that he's made a potion that will help her conceive a child, but um, by drinking the potion, she will kill the first man that she goes to bed with. Um, So uh, she then convinces her to uh, go to bed with him to save her husband. Uh, And so then they have a torrid love affair because she finds out that she loves him because of all of his great lovemaking. Oh, no, um, that's very Italian. Yes, it's very Italian, uh, and uh, but it's also got this, you know, uh, political message behind it that these noblemen uh, are sterile uh, when it comes to love making. But it it's not just in love making that they're sterile when it comes to being an effective ruler as well. Mm-hmm. That they're impotent. Um, uh, that uh, the we can't let the Medici's continue to rule the way that they have because the fruit that is supposed to be coming isn't coming. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, there are so many other plays and other things that he writes um, during uh, this time period. Uh, he gets some that are being produced out in the world, some that are being published, um, but uh, he, he's he's on the outs with the Medici's. He uh for most of this time. However, he still has some allies around who um, start asking him for advice as 
you know, Renaissance Europe being Renaissance Europe, uh, there's still all these wars that are being fought. Um, and so uh, the Pope is trying to figure out, do I ally myself with France or with the Holy Roman Empire or with Spain or what do I do next? And the outer circle of the Pope uh, starts reaching out to Machiavelli. And so through these channels, Machiavelli starts um, advising the Pope on uh the political maneuvers that he needs to make. Mm -hmm. um, then uh, uh, the uh, the Medici Pope, the first Medici Pope, he passes away. There's another Pope in between. And then uh, Giulio um, becomes the Pope, Giulio uh, de Medici. And he really likes uh, uh, Machiavelli. Oh. And so through his influence, um, the... Uh, he gives uh, uh, Machiavelli uh, some more credibility and some more political power. Uh, he becomes an advisor again. Uh, there's, of course, another war, uh, this time between uh, Spain and the Holy Roman Empire. They've now come together as one under the Habsburgs. And uh, the Pope and Venice and France uh, have all joined together uh, to fight off the Holy Roman Empire. And uh, Machiavelli is a diplomat for Florence, uh, once again, organizing things, and he's a military advisor. Um, 1527, uh, the Holy Roman Empire marches on Florence, and they kick out the Medici family, and they restore the Republic to the way that it's supposed to be. And uh, this is something that um, uh, Machiavelli what might surprise people is that that's what he wanted the whole time. All of his writings, he, he talks about how great liberty is, um, uh, that uh, these tyrants are, are, with, are, are strangling uh, the, the liberty of the people. So now Florence is finally restored to its republic, and he's hoping that he gets to have some role in that. But because of all of his dealings with the Medicis in the past, and he's kind of getting older and he's very sick, they don't give him uh, any uh, 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 positions in the New Republic, and uh, he dies just a month later mm. in June uh, of 1527. He was uh, 58 years old. Wow. So the legacy of the prince. The prince was not published during his lifetime. The prince uh, was published for the first time in 1532, uh, and... Uh, in the first few years, people take it at face value, at what it, at, at what it's supposed to be, mm -hmm. that um, all of these lessons to be given to a ruler that um, the... That the, and it's groundbreaking in, in its approach. Mm -hmm. But by the 1550s, people really start to notice all of the negative things and um, uh, the things that he says about how you, you, the, the anti-virtuistic approach to leadership, mm -hmm. that it's against Christian teachings, uh, at least that's what the uh, uh, Pope is starting to think and Protestants are starting to think at the same time. And the 1550s, the Pope bans it mm. and he bans all works uh, made by Machiavelli. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, England, Queen Elizabeth bans it. Mm. Uh, at the same, I mean, you can ban something all you want, but that really just makes people want to read it more. <laughs> um, and so people in England read it 
voraciously, and they thought of it as being the ultimate in um, Medici decadence and tyranny. And they make that uh, they actually one of their words for Satan becomes Old Nick because of Niccolo Machiavelli, Ooh. and they 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 make the word Machiavellian, which is uh, a you know everything that comes into our uh, verbiage today mm-hmm. is conniving. And, yeah. Um, uh, 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 anything for power and um, uh, dishonest and, and, and all of these mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he uh, is a complete enemy of the moralists and uh, people who believe in a liberal philosophy. Machiavellian takes on this dirty connotation. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at all of his works all together, um, and you even read it all, if you read, most of these people have these ideas about Machiavelli, but they've never read The Prince cover to cover. Mm-hmm. It's 90 pages, mm-hmm. and they still haven't read it all the way through mm-hmm. uh, to actually get into the mindset of what he's talking about. And then when you read and you find out what he went through just before writing the book, you fully understand why he would have this negative view of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yes. And, and that that's not, I mean, that that's a good way to prevent yourself from getting hurt if you're able to keep things in balance. And I think a lot of people have read it and not, and, and the balance idea gets lost on it. He's coming from this era where people only talk about the light and only talk about the virtues of humanity. And he's bringing up this other, there's a balance to this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that... Um, the chart is very accurate. One of the things is uh, the balance mm-hmm. um, uh, in things. Um, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the there's so much um, that, I, that I think does uh, bear out into uh, who uh, Machiavelli was. Right, and I mean, looking at it now and knowing who it is, and um, understanding a little bit more of what I'm looking at. I mean, first of all, when you have someone who has Jupiter and Cancer, I mean, it's one thing to hurt them, but someone who has Jupiter and Cancer, it's going to be magnified. So it's like where you could torture someone, I don't know, like a Sagittarius, (laughs) torture a Sagittarius, and he's going to be very, very angry. And, 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 and maybe, you know, want to kill you, but it's, it's not going to be part of his soul. What happened to Machiavelli became part of his soul. It was so painful to his soul. And all of this, it's like, oh my, this is huge amount of karma that you have to work through. I mean, this looks like a spider web, you know? Yeah. This is a lot. And then, wanting to heal and teach wanting to teach the people all right that was his mm, that was his that was his direction that's what he needed to do and the darkness right talking about the darkness and the innovation of someone not talking about the light but talking about the darkness right it's right here and very detailed, very detailed and very good at communicating about it, you know? 
Mm-hmm. And the anger. So it is here. It's just in how do you interpret a chart? You know, I, of course, always try to go with all the light stuff, but I even brought in, I was like, this is dark, you know? Right. And, and that there's a, a and, and it's innovative. Needed some sort of psychic way to get into the darkness. Uh-huh. Um, I think that going into it, on the outset, he didn't have that. Mm-hmm. And it was because of the trials that he went All through. All this. And he was forced mm-hmm. to understand the darkness before mm-hmm. he wrote. And I books. also think that he probably was very um, much about wanting to do things the right thing, the right way. And then when he was hurt physically and mentally and emotionally so much, you know, um, his honor is hurt, his body is hurt, his mind is hurt, his soul is hurt, and he's got Jupiter and Cancer. I mean, you, that's a bad, you just don't want to do that to a little Jupiter and Cancer. They, there's too much, and they retaliate with those little claws up in the air. You know, so, I mean, he would never have gotten over that. He went to the grave with this. I mean, he got a little treat at the end, you know, where Medici gave him a little treat at the end. So then, you know, yeah. it was, it was that, but I mean, this is a lot going on in a chart. I mean, really, it, it's, it's just so, so much. And, and it, it doesn't necessarily have to play out as painful. It could play out as, as beneficial, you know, but it's just whatever the karma is, you know, so there's yeah. that. But I mean, he certainly wasn't afraid. He he could have been killed for writing that probably, but yeah. he wasn't. So No. I mean the 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 Medici's knew it was true. <laughs> They're like, yeah. eh, whatever. <laughs> He's not even worth the poison. <laughs> Which probably hurt him even more if he had been well, murdered. And, but they kept him around because he could he could serve us later. Right? Exactly. And that's what he did. Yeah, the Medici's they 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 had it down pat. Mm-hmm. They were evil power, and that's how it goes. So whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean it does play out, but um, not exactly the way I originally read it. But definitely in his life, this all plays out in this. You know, the laws, and he's talking about the laws of humanity, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why I was like, yeah, it's not necessarily the law, like legal law. It's the laws of, like the laws of the universe, whatever, because it's, it's Uranus, you know? So it was new and talking about the dark side. Mar, uh, Neptune in Scorpio and 10th house in Scorpio. There's going to be some dark in there somewhere. That was really very, very interesting. Very nice. And I'm glad that you brought that to everyone's attention about Machiavelli. And that everything about it isn't like, oh, Machiavellian, you know, it's a Machiavellian way of doing it, you know. So I like Mm -hmm. that. That's very good, Chandler. Uh, Well, I think on our scale of uh, right on the money to way out in outer space, this is uh, right on the money. This (laughs) is um, uh, a lot of the aspects um, maybe took a little massaging to to finally uh, understand it all. But, uh, yeah, this is a lot of uh, who... And Niccolo Machiavelli was. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, well, uh, that brings us to uh, the end of this episode. We'd like to thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if you'd like to reach out and support the show, we have uh, all sorts of uh, links provided in the show description to our uh, social media accounts, uh, our YouTube channel. Uh, there are uh, episodes from our first season there that you can uh, watch and uh, follow along uh, as uh, Mom reads the charts there. And uh, please uh, like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. And if you haven't done it on the uh, podcasting service that you're on right now that would of course be very appreciated uh, also leaving a rating and review uh, this is a podcast all about stars so uh, those five star uh, ratings would uh, really help us out um, and if you would like to be your very own mystery history guest we can make that happen just reach out to chandler's mom at history that's right. And if you want to reach us anywhere, we are on the internet. You just go to www.historyandretrograde.com and you can find everywhere we are right there in one spot. And um, I am, again, having a wonderful time with all of you guys. I love spending. I know when I have my clients once a month and it's really exciting to do your charts for you and do your transits for the month and um, chat with you about different things that are happening in your lives and I love hearing about your children and your pets and everything. So please um, just send me an email. Also, we love it when you guys comment on the show. So wherever you're listening to the show, if you can leave a comment or send us out into the world and share us with everybody, that would be awesome. But for you guys who have been here for four seasons, wow, we really love you guys. And all of you new people, welcome. We're so happy you're here. Absolutely. Uh, thank you all so much for listening and supporting us. And uh, as always, in conclusion, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Everything is going to be just fine. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.